I'm a writer, director, and big drinker of water. I was gonna say, uh, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, uh, and petty person. We just realized. <laughs> what What makes you say that? Because I just said something so rude seeing my ex on an Instagram. Well, you know, my new thing is I'm letting myself feel all of my pettiness and my bad feelings and, and giving into them so that they pass quicker. Yeah. So then I like really just become my worst self for maybe like an afternoon and then I get over it. How long? Like a few hours? Okay, so one to two days. <laughs> Well, because in my experience, if I try to, like, uh, pretend like I don't feel that way or yell at myself for feeling that way, then it just keeps popping up for, like, a long time. Whereas if I just, like, fully give in to just, like, my worst thoughts, then I I kind of, like, a a toddler, I just, like, exhaust myself and I'm over it. Oh, yeah. You know, you got to just have your tantrum. Yeah, I think you got to have your tantrum. I don't know. I just, it's funny because people will text me. Why Why do people text you to alert you to things that will upset you? <laughs> I've never had that. The only time I've ever had someone text me about stuff going on with my ex was when their company was like doing poorly in the news. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's petty. But that was like good news for me. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, this is just like, um, I think the queer world is really small. And mm-hmm. so people will text me and be like, did you see this? And I'm like, well, not until right fucking now. Maybe just ask them not to do that anymore. Yeah. Maybe just put out a, a public tweet or statement <laughs> saying, please do not contact me about anything unless it is good news <laughs> revolving my own life. But yeah, good news as in like maybe they've um, quit and or died. I don't want to say died, but... You know, you something, said, you, said it. <laughs> you know, something where like, like, let me know if something bad has happened to them. But like, if they're succeeding, I don't want to know about it. Yeah, I never, I would never tell someone a good thing about their ex. Thank you. Yeah, it seems very strange. I mean, there's certain exes that I'm fine with. Obviously, we've met them on this show. <laughs> I, but I don't want to feel like, oh, now they've popped up on everything. Although, let me just say that they do pop up on literally everything I follow. That sucks. I think I've said this before on the show, and you told me it wasn't relatable, where I was like, my ex is a model, and I have to unfollow clothing brands. <laughs> and then, well, yesterday, can I just say yesterday, I was talking to our producer, Tamika, and I was explaining a bunch of stuff, and then Tamika was like, um, your life's not relatable. <laughs> like, was just yeah, like- <laughs> I don't find your life to be relatable like, at all. Yeah. To me. Yeah, I was explaining influencer culture and stuff, and Tamika was just like, I, I'm a- producer from Houston like I don't I don't know what this means or what you're talking about or why well if you're looking for relatable content this might not be the show for you no but, we're relatable we're but relatable it is just between us a variety show filled with heartfelt advice ridiculous games and brutal honesty we're relatable there's aspects of you that is relatable you know what I'll take it I would put that on like a book like my book cover it would just say like there are aspects of Gabby that are relatable Allison Rath <laughs> Aspects in all caps highlighted. I'd buy it. Um, I'd buy any book that I'm on the cover of. (laughs) 
We've got a great episode for you guys this week. We're going to be talking to Dr. Amy Green of The Trevor Project. I'm so excited. Me too. And later, we're going to discuss our favorite content, movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, music. Why is it resonating with us and what's going on? And why would we recommend it to you? Why would we recommend it to you? We just recommend our own stuff. (laughs) Um, But first, hit it. International question. International question. International question. Anonymous, Scotland. Ooh, wow. So I shall be reading this email with a Scottish accent. Oh, God, please do. How do you get over someone who ghosted you? Um, a little Irish. Okay. I'll just, I'm going to be reading this with an Irish accent. <laughs> How yeah. do you get over someone who ghosted you, eh? Oh. So that was Canadian. Um, anyway, back to me. <laughs> Anonymous from Scotland uh, is obviously asking us about ghosting and to kind of give us some context, shares her specific experience. And she says, basically, I went traveling in South America last year and had quite a cliched romance for about three months with a local guy. It was amazing at the time. I knew it would be temporary, but he thought differently and was off saying things like I was cold and too independent. And in the end, we ended up making plans for the future, for me returning and going traveling together. Just before I left, we even told each other we loved each other, which doesn't come lightly to me at all. However, only a few weeks after I left, our messages started to fizzle out. And after his last text, I miss you too much, and him liking a few of my old Facebook photos, I haven't heard anything from him in months. <laughs> I don't understand People liking people's photos when they've ghosted them. That is a huge thing. That's a whole another episode. She says, this has affected me a lot to the point where I'm quite embarrassed about it and feel like it's way beyond the point where I can talk to anyone about how much it still upsets me. Especially because it seems like such a cliche for a girl to get tricked into thinking a guy likes her more than he really did. I ended up sending that one last message explaining exactly why I was so hurt by him ghosting me and told myself I would completely forget about him after that. But it hasn't worked. It feels like the last time I was properly happy and carefree was with him. It's gotten slightly easier with time, but I'm due to go to Broad again to do some volunteer work in the same area, and my brain is becoming obsessed once again with all the unanswered questions. In conclusion, how do you get over something that felt so good at the time and you have no explanation of why it ended? And how do I remain strong enough to resist trying to get in touch again once I'm back in the same area, even though I know it's stupid, pointless, and hurtful? Okay, so this is interesting because it seemed like you weren't that interested in keeping things going and then he sort of convinced you to and then now you're confused about like why you have changed and are so obsessed with him, which I think maybe was his his plan. (laughs) Well, to quote the seminal film Mamma Mia 2, here we go again. There was a wonderful scene where Lily James's character described – if we're going, it was like in the 70s, so we'll just do some heterosexual culture here. Two different types of, of men in straight relationships. One man who isn't interested and like is hard to get. And then one guy who's like, I love you and like really believes that in that moment. And then the next day doesn't. Yeah. So it's not that like they're necessarily lying to you in the moment because they feel those feelings. They then just don't feel them a week later. Yes. Like, I kind of see it a little from his side where I think he maybe felt defensive or protective of himself because he felt that you were too cold or independent and he felt like, I mean, he had written like. I think we're giving him the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. Like, I I miss you too much. Like, maybe he felt a little bit hurt. And so he, look, obviously. Okay, but let's, let's now, then that's too specific to, let's talk, let's pretend he just ghosted her. Okay. And like. 
people tend to ghost rarely this because is, they like you too much. <laughs> yeah, so this is what I was going to say is that basically it comes down to uh, the person's inability to communicate. Mm-hmm. So no matter why they're doing it, the point is is that they cannot communicate. They cannot um, be honest. They can't have hard conversations. They can't do confrontation. Right. That's basically it. Like it doesn't have to do with you. It doesn't say anything about you. It doesn't make you like a shitty or like unlovable person. The only thing it is is that – I think people find it awkward to have honest conversations, and so they just are like, let me just uh, disappear. I was talking to a girl last night who said that her boyfriend of two years ghosted her. What? Yep. Like, just, like, went, like, I guess they were in a long-distance relationship. He just stopped responding to her, and, like, two months later, she was like, well, I guess this is over. (gasps) And then he, like, finally called her. No. No, 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 no. People don't want to have healthy conversations and communications like they just don't do it and I I have found that when I um, initiate conversations like that a lot of times people I'm dating are confused or they don't like it like it's what kind of conversations like any sort of processing like hey this you know hurt me or hey like um, what's going on here or whatever I think people would rather not have the confrontation or would rather not have the conversation so they just disappear I would look at it as, oh, okay, so this person is not as emotionally evolved as I deserve or want, and therefore, thank goodness they ghosted me. (laughs) I I agree. And I know that's hard to convince yourself, but I think that sometimes you just have to accept that you're not going to get closure. You can't get closure from another person. Yeah. You have to get closure from yourself. And, like, I'm someone who hates not knowing. Like, that is, like, one of my biggest anxiety triggers for me. Mm-hmm. So, like, I totally understand this, like, desire to, like, okay, but tell me exactly what happened. When did you decide that you were never going to speak to me again? Why? What did I do? You know? Mm-hmm. But, like, honestly, you can never fully understand another person's point of view or the decisions they make. And even if they told you, I guarantee that you would be like, no, nah, I bet that wasn't it. I bet it was this. Or, you know, That's like, anxiety. You, That's like, anxiety. You, you probably wouldn't even believe them. So it doesn't actually help you in any way. What helps you is the behavior control, right? Which is not contacting them when you're in town. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the actual steps that you can take is like deleting their number, maybe blocking their number, not allowing yourself to get in touch um, when you're nearby. Yeah. I also think that you are doing some nostalgia for something that wasn't that great. Like if you were not super convinced about keeping in touch or staying together or whatever, and he was, like then to say I was only happy and carefree with him, it's kind of like um, you're you're building up this thing that maybe if you think back on it and you actually go through like how it was, you were right. It was just like a three-month thing and you don't need to see this person again and you don't like actually want to continue it, but you got talked into it and so I think that you're beating yourself up and imagining this thing to have been better than it was plus it's also a bit of a culture shock to like even to come home you know if you were away for three months in another country you had this romance like now you're back to your regular life like there's just going to be like some level of letdown and you're probably associating all of that letdown with him yeah it's also just that your life is probably back to normal (laughs) in general I agree I don't think it has a lot to do with him because I think your initial instinct was right. You know what I mean? Go back to your initial instinct. Trust yourself. And if, like, you're getting ghosted by someone in your town and not someone you met in South America for three months, 
I think that, again, like, you just have to be, like, the character of this person is despicable, and I don't want to be with someone who's despicable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that's always what I tell myself when, like, we would get mean comments or, like, horrible comments online. I'd be like, what kind of person would leave this type of comment? Right. Like, I, I don't respect them, and therefore their opinion does not matter. Yeah. And I- so I think you can kind of apply the same type of thinking to this person. Yeah. I mean, it's a maturity thing. It's a growth thing. I don't know. As you get older, you are able to just have these conversations. But even if you see him around, let's say like if you've been ghosted by someone in your town and you see them around or you whatever, there's this instinct to go up and try to like get closure. But it's it's going to be disappointing every time. I also think that you get such a blow to your self-esteem when someone does this to you. Mm -hmm. Like, you're like, oh, my God, like, what is wrong with me? But then I have to remember that, like, my my boyfriend Jake is literally, like, the best person I've ever met in my entire life, and I'm not exaggerating. And people rejected him throughout his life. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, Mm -hmm. he's been dumped. He's, like, gone on three dates with someone for them to be like, I just feel a friend vibe. Like, he, you know? Yeah. And I'm, like, truly baffled by that. I'm like, he's so wonderful. What were these morons thinking? You know? And so it's just because one person decided not to continue a relationship is no reflection of your value as a person. And the person that you're meant to be with will see your value and would never do that to you. That's very good. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. If you also want very good advice, please submit your international <laughs> question to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking about the Trevor Project with Dr. Amy Green. Yeah, we get big time, yes. <laughs> Just between us. Hey! Just between Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. We are here right now with the Trevor Project's Director of Research, Dr. Amy Green. Hello. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. I feel like we have a celebrity in the room. (laughs) Yeah, Allison was like, we get big time guests, no big deal. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) How long have you been working with the Trevor Project? I have been with the Trevor Project a little over a year, so since last November. And for people who somehow are not familiar, what is, um, what do you call it, your mission statement? The mission of Trevor is to end LGBTQ youth suicide. When did it start? Trevor started in 1998, uh, and so it's been growing and expanding ever since it started as a phone line after a movie that won the documentary for Best Short Film, and they realized that there were no services Mm. for—actually, it's not a documentary, it's a short film, um, but they realized there were no services for LGBTQ youth who might be in crisis, and so they started The Trevor Project, and it's grown leaps and bounds since um, being available 24-7 and expanding crisis services, research, advocacy, and doing amazing work. So is it true that there's a higher rate of suicide among LGBT community? There is, unfortunately. It's actually quite— large in terms of the difference for uh, when we think about considering suicide and suicide attempts, LGBTQ youth are up to four times as likely to consider attempt suicide compared to their peers. So what are some of the steps that you guys take within preventing uh, LGBTQ suicide? So when we think about Trevor Project, our core mission, our core services are crisis services, and that's the idea that youth are not alone, Mm -hmm. that when they may be feeling 
overwhelmed and that they don't know what their options are, that there is a number they can call, there is a number they can text, and they can receive contact and support. Uh, The nature of crises, I think we've all had crises in our life, Mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. is that we have a big spike up where everything feels really intense and hard to think. And then if we can get through that, then life can get back to normal. We can kind of think about our coping skills, but our ability to cope when we're at that really high level of crisis is hard. And so having someone who's there who can talk to you and walk you through problem solving and, you know, what types of steps can you take can really get you to that next part. And then that's of course, in combination with things like if someone is having a mental health disorder, getting them into you know therapy and services. But in that moment of crisis, in terms of preventing suicide, really the key thing to do is being there for someone, helping them get over that crisis and have that support. And how, what kind of training goes into the people who are answering those calls? So we have training that occurs um, over a continued period of time. So we have our, our lifeline training and those will be, uh, folks will come in from the community for volunteers and they will receive full weekends full of information from our amazing training team and others who work on our crisis services. Um, we also, because we have text and chat and so our, our core offices are in LA and New York, but we also have digital crisis counselors and volunteers who are across the country. And so we oh, have a new wonderful. asynchronous learning program where they can go through, similar if anyone's taken like an online at your own pace learning course, where they go through with consultation and coaching from our trained staff. And so there are two options in terms of how to folks can get trained to do that kind of work. And these are volunteers, right? There are, the most of our services are um, volunteer driven. We do have for like, let's say the overnight shift and for some of the time periods are a little, we do have uh, staff that are trained and hired to cover that, but a good portion, most of our services are covered by volunteers from the community. That's amazing. Is lack of community the biggest thing? Because you said Trevor's in New York and LA mostly, and I feel like there's this these huge swaths of the country where there's no community for LGBTQ people. Yeah. And so one thing that I haven't touched on yet is we do have something for youth called Trevor Space. Mm -hmm. And that is an online social networking platform where youth can come together. So youth who may be from a part of the country where there aren't the resources that you find in a place like LA and New York, they can talk to other youth. Um, In addition to reaching out in our crisis services, I think of it kind of as like prevention, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you're not alone because you've found other peers who are identifying as LGBTQ or who are trying to figure things out, who are supportive and who are there for you. But yeah, that happens a lot too, which is trying to cover the entire country. We're not just an organization that covers New York and LA. Um, and so ensuring that we have also our volunteers from across the country so that we have people in all kinds of different places. In those chats, is there like uh, a monitor in there from your organization? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's say a volunteer is on a shift. We would have one of our digital supervisors who has on their screen, on their computer, all of the the chats that are happening currently. And so they can look to see, does someone need extra support if there's a youth who might be in a particularly high level of crisis, um, that they're able to provide that kind of support and that oversight. I know that there's certain spikes like around the holidays. And then I imagine when all this stuff in the news is like the trans ban and the military and things like that. Do you guys anticipate spikes at certain times in like the context of what's going on in the world? Yes. So I think one of our biggest times was exactly what you talked about with the trans ban. When something like that happens, um, we know that we may see an uptick. We have an amazing data team who's also looking out to see, do we need to change shifts based on what we see um, in terms of our volume, which is coming in. In terms of the holidays, it's actually 
the volume's not that much different. So for example, on Thanksgiving Day and the day after, um, what we see is after the holidays, a little bit of a spike happening then. So mm-hmm. people are around people their family. People have gotten home and they're like, need to fucking talk that through. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's yeah. interesting because like these things happen in the news that are that are large and societal and like obviously the legislation is is its own thing. But then I always imagine that it the it causes spikes in suicide or suicidal ideation because it plants in people's minds, you know, that you're not wanted, you're not loved, mm-hmm. there's no hope for you, that kind of thing. Yeah. So what we know about when I talked about that they're four times more likely to consider attempt suicide is not because of being LGBTQ. It's because of the way LGBTQ folks are treated. And so there's something called the minority stress theory, minority stress, which is the idea that it's all related to experiences of discrimination, rejection, stigma. Uh, And when you see those play out, on that type of a national platform, when you see that type of rejection, right. then obviously that really feeds into that kind of minority stress of I'm not wanted, I'm not accepted. Right. What was your background before you moved over to the Trevor Project? I was an academia. So I was a professor at UC San Diego. Oh, wow. And so I'm a clinical psychologist by training, but I've been um, primarily in research, teaching, and then... I made a life switch, and I love it. I loved. I love the other one. There's nothing that I didn't like about academia. I think that we all sometimes get to that point in our life where we're like, I'm doing pretty well, but I could actually do more as a human to make the world a better place. And so that was a switch. Why yeah. did you go to Trevor? Part of my research that I did was focused on, it started out youth mental health in general, and then I started doing some research with a colleague in New Mexico. It was before, so we didn't use to, this data when I say like four times more. We haven't done a great job as a country of counting LGBTQ people and right. having the information. So that's fairly recent that we were able to say that. I had some data from New Mexico before the entire country included the data, and I cried over it. And normally as a research, right? We cry over the data because it's like, it's not saying what I want. I'm never going to publish this paper. There's pretty lame reasons. Um, <laughs> like, per- like personally? Yeah. You're just upset. Yeah. Like, just like, <laughs> oh no. Um, and I cried because the data was so sad because yeah. I had, I knew as a member of the LGBTQ community, like I know that it's not as great. Like I was like, right. oh, we probably have worse anxiety, worse depression. Like, and when I saw the numbers and how astonishing they were, it was sort of a shift of, oh, I'm not going to be just sort of general youth and general youth mental health. This is where I'm going. And then what better place to be able to do that than a place like the Trevor Project that really focuses on the mission of ending LGBTQ youth suicide. And so to do the type of work I was doing before, but to do it for an organization like this that's on the ground, making change, innovating is really a really cool part of my life. It's so crazy to me that it's that the data is still not there. Like I'm actually getting not to <laughs> I'm getting my master's in clinical psychology yeah. right now, and like the fact that a lot of times like the study groups that you have are just like white college kids, right? Yeah, because oh, yeah. that's just like who's around and like who's down to do it. And yeah. so I think to focus and to make sure that we're like actually getting the information from this specific group that has much higher yeah. rates is so important because sometimes people need those numbers to actually understand the problem. And it's not something that you can visually see most of the time. So someone may commit suicide and you don't know the reason why and it's not counted or you don't know that they are trans. There's like so many things that with LGBTQ people that you have to self-report. And a lot of times people just don't. 
Yeah. So we still don't collect data. So when I say LGBT youth have um, increased rates of suicide, that should be very clear that suicide attempts and considering suicide, right. because we don't collect mortality data on sexual orientation or gender identity. So even really? when we hear things like the number of black trans women who have been killed within a year, that's because people are keeping count mm-hmm. from uh-huh. stories that we hear in the news and the media, not because we're collecting information. I could go on and tell you the difference between people who died by suicide who were 24 to 30 versus mm-hmm. 10 to 14. I could tell you the difference in the regions of the countries they lived in. I could tell you the difference in the race, ethnicity. I can't tell you anything about their sexual orientation or gender identity. Why right. is that not being documented? It is something that's being so Trevor's advocacy team is working on it. Others have been working on it at a national level. Um, it's just something that folks haven't had the training or the experience to do in a lot of data systems so that there's state mortality data that goes to the federal level and they're just not collecting it. Yeah. I identify as bisexual, and I've always heard and read that the rates are particularly high among trans people and then particularly high among bisexuals, Mm -hmm. too. Do you have, like, research on or do you know, like, why that might be? I've always read reasons why, but do you know why that might be? So if we go back to that minority stress theory, it's Mm -hmm. just the idea of the amount and the impact of minority stress that you might experience. So if you think of someone who's trans, there are the expectations that they may have from others regarding their gender and the discrimination they may face. Also, they may just face discrimination and lack of acceptance from within the LGBTQ community. Same thing with folks who are bisexual, right? The idea that you're having discrimination, rejection, isolation occurring from larger society, from things like policies that come down that are not supportive. And then within this community, you also don't feel like you're quite as accepted. Yeah, that's why it's important uh, for the entire LGBTQ spectrum to support each other and to be on board with each other. And I think a lot of times the B and the T are the ones that get booted or Absolutely. that are judged from within. And so that that's what I've read about, like, higher rates of bisexual, specifically as a bisexual, yeah. suicide because uh, the lesbian and gay community are like, okay, whatever, and don't really support you. Yeah, I mean, that's as a community where we need to be focusing is on accepting everyone and supporting Mm -hmm. everyone, particularly those among our community who are most discriminated against, who have policies that are not supportive. Um, Those of us who get to a place, I think, you know, for myself, one thing, when I got to a place where I realized I was like, oh, I made it. Like, (laughs) I I survived. I, I made it through all of that stress and all of the, you know, I've had a time where I didn't get a job because it, the person found out that my partner was a woman yeah. and they like rescinded the job offer. Um, so, right. Did so you, you sue them? I did not. It was in Florida and it's legal. Uh, um, that's where I'm from. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. What year was that? 2010. Right. So it's recent, people yeah, listening. 2010, 11. Yes. So it was legal that the person went through the full thing. They were supposed to fly me out. They asked if I wanted to fly and went out with me. I said um, that I wanted to fly out my partner at the time, now my wife. And then I got an email saying, um, we think you're probably a better fit for an academic environment. We are a small, tight-knit organization, and we think that you're probably not a good fit for us with nothing happening in between me supposed to fly. Yeah. <laughs> so, But I made it past all that. I get into yeah. like a good job. I get a good career. I do that. And so for those of us who are able to do that um, in whatever form of our identities allow us to do that, that there's 
a part that needs to figure out how to give back because there are a lot of folks who are still struggling, who are having trouble finding jobs, getting to that place. And so, you know, as much of my job as I can take to think about the other members of the community who are, you know, LGBTQ persons of color, those mm-hmm. who identify as bisexual, those who are trans, who are who are not necessarily lifted up as much in this movement to find ways to lift everyone up. What does your day-to-day look like at Trevor? My day-to-day, it depends. It could be analyzing data, writing reports. Um, It could be working with our crisis services team uh, to think about a new tool we might use, pulling evidence in there, updating our training materials. Uh, It's really, in terms of the things that I do, it's got a couple of goals. One is to make sure that everything that we're doing at Trevor is research-based and Mm data-driven. Another one is to make sure that we are conducting research at Trevor that informs the broader community, and then also making sure that that goes into our advocacy and our training. When I knew of Trevor, so before I took this job, I knew it was crisis, right? That that you could call someone and there'd be LGBTQ person or a person who was an ally who'd be able to support you. Great. And then I learned that Trevor does all this amazing advocacy work. So when we talked about why aren't people measuring sexual orientation and gender identity when someone dies, why don't we have that information? Um, there are folks at Trevor who are going around the country, going to legislative sessions, making sure that this changes and providing that. And so being able to have that sort of impact. And so for me, collecting data, using data that I can say like, Here we've got, I don't know if anyone's heard of it, there's some bills that are coming up in the country that are looking at um, banning gender-affirming care for trans youth. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, uh. yeah, I know. I know. The world's Florida, the most, Florida just yep. has some fun with that yesterday. That's the thing that I think trips people up the most, at least in my yeah. experience of like talking, is that for youth specifically, so mm-hmm. like queer stuff, they're like on board with. But then if it's like, you shouldn't let a kid decide their gender, you shouldn't let a kid uh, uh, talk about sexuality, which there's like literally onesies for babies being like lady killer right. or whatever. Right. But they're like, that child can't know their gender I'm like I you know or they can't yeah. know their sexuality it's like you say that this boy is your daughter's boyfriend at like five right so I think like people get really tripped up especially on like the youth gender stuff which I don't know how how do we talk to those people there's some research out there that shows trans youth who are allowed to let's talk about this with the first the kind of the social transition which is just allowing the person to be themselves dress to have their hair want, cut your their hair. dress yeah. their name their pronouns however they want right we're we're not talking about anything other than allowing the person to be who they want to be that youth who do that have better rates of like their anxieties down their depressions down they look more similar to their peers compared to those who don't it's about that acceptance rejecting thing and mm-hmm. i think and you have data to prove that right there's this is uh, that's what i was saying like so one of my jobs is pulling together all that research so that our team can use that when things are happening in Florida so that they can provide the evidence to people. So it's like, yeah, you have these ideas about what might happen, but like, here's what actually happens in the real world when this is studied. It is very rare that a youth will medically transition. And that's what people are up in arms about because they think that all these scary medical things are happening. Like right. maybe they go on puberty blockers, but guess what? As soon as you're off them, if you decide you're, you're not this gender, you can, you go right. back to- Right, they're reversible. To, yeah. yeah, like, so, the, but they're so scared of like, oh, it's going to be some sort of medical transition, which is so, like, so rare. If, I mean, it, puberty blockers will be the first step. Again, after like lots of doctor's appointments, mm-hmm. lots of consultation. Right. This is this is not someone who decides one day, you know what, I need a, I, I need to be who I am and then is able to have that. Like 
you know, maybe that would be a better way for it to happen. Right. But it's it's and and it's not like youth decide one day. That just right, doesn't it right. just doesn't happen like that. It's someone who's felt this way persistently. And I think when we think about the harms of not helping, no parent wants to see their child suffer. No ch- no parent wants to see their child die by suicide. Exactly. But, but when we're doing this, that's what inadvertently it's rejection, it's persistent dysphoria and. That's a really hard way for a youth to thrive and survive versus having supportive parents who say, you know what, this is who you are. Let's help you be yourself. And no one is is having, let's say, a surgical procedure mm-hmm. at, at these ages. It's panic. It's the, as we talked about at work, sometimes it's the it's the new bathroom bills. Um, right. When people started panicking about what would happen if you allowed um, trans people to use the bathroom that is aligned with their gender. Which, right? by the way— <laughs> You've already been in a bathroom with a trans person. Right. You have. Right. Statistically in your life, you have. And guess what? Nothing happened to you. Right. <laughs> I think it's this, like, wrong presumption that the parent knows best and that the kid doesn't possibly know anything and that if they let the kid do this, then, like, the kid will then suffer so much more later. But people know themselves. And also, you're going to involve professionals. Like, right. it's not just, like, the parent being like, cool, let's do it, you know? Like, yeah. and I think that... It's just something that is still so scary and unknown for people that they assume that it's harmful. I would love if the parent was just like, tight, let's do this. Right. But, like, it's just, it's... I meant, like, they can, obviously, in, like... No, yeah. yeah. Clothing it, but in terms of medical yeah. stuff. Yes, they, in terms you know, of, you know, yeah. yeah. People, people get caught up on it. That mm-hmm. they're, you're, it's, it's the fear. People don't understand it. They haven't taken the time to read about it, understand mm-hmm. it, know it. They hear things. They hear messages from others. They right. hear stories that aren't true. Right. right? And then they think, oh, no, this is happening. I think that a lot of when we talk about parents, most of it, if not all of it, is trying to protect their child. And it's just a misunderstanding about what protection actually is. But that's why doing the clinical studies is so important because then you have actual facts and data and you can be like, look, this is proven to be harmful. This is proven to be helpful. Absolutely. Are you running studies yourself, or are you kind of gathering? We are, we are doing studies. So we have a large national survey. Um, we have one that's finishing up in the field right now that goes out to LGBTQ youth between the ages of 13 and 24, and it asks a range of questions, including questions about whether or not they are able to present themselves in the way that's authentic to themselves, including mm. um, barriers that they may have to receiving mental health care, better barriers that they may have to treatment, but a whole range of questions um, that go out to youth across the country to really kind of, rather than us postulating what youth are thinking or what they need, really have the data based on it. What do a lot of them say that they need? So... I think that the thing that comes out the most in terms of when we talk about youth, if you look at ways that youth report and then you look at outcomes, it's acceptance. Mm. Yeah. We just don't want to be loved and accepted and not have to be someone who's not authentically ourselves. And so that acceptance, acceptance from parents, acceptance from teachers, acceptance from friends, acceptance from the larger community. And it's something that you can so easily give someone. Right. If you're like, how can I help people? It's like, just accept them, <laughs> which takes very little work on your end. Right. If someone was wanting to be a volunteer for the mm-hmm. Trevor Project, what does that process look like? And how much how much time do they kind of have to, to give? So 
a person who would be interested in volunteering would go to our website, fill out a form, um, and then we would have someone contact them from our team, make sure they're a good fit, run through a couple of hypothetical situations, uh, and then depending on whether or not they were in New York or L.A. and wanted to do it in person or um, were somewhere else and wanted to do our asynchronous training, they'd be enrolled in a training class. They'd go through that. That whole process um, does take a couple of months, as it should, right? If yeah. I, would mm-hmm. wa- I, I would want to have a couple of months right. of training and practice before I was on the phone or on a chat with a youth who might be in crisis. Um, and so once they go through that, then they would start um, the process of having their shifts a couple of times a month for you know, like four to six hours. They would have their shifts. They would go on, um, and they're never alone. So there would be you know either shift supervisors who are in our office if they're physically there, or like I said, if someone's doing it as a volunteer from somewhere across the country, they have right available through a back-and-forth messaging system a person who's there who could pick up the phone and call them if they needed to while they're chatting with the youth. Is there an age restriction? I believe just 18 and older. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that um, kids younger than 18 can do to be involved in the project? That's a great question. Um, I think that we have had a youth board in the past. I know that there are some new engagement opportunities that our team's working with, too, in terms of how to get youth more involved. We have youth storytellers, so youth who want to tell their story um, and be a part of the the Trevor narrative mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, how they've found support, what they've done, um, can contact us and kind of be a part in those ways, too. Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest thing as a kid was not seeing any queer adults, and so thinking that there was, like, no future for me or that there wasn't any way that I grow up and become whatever, you know. Yeah. And I think, like, a lot of times people don't have that. Or young people don't have that specifically. You don't see anyone thriving at at an older age. Yeah. And so I imagine talking to the volunteers and stuff, you actually get to see, like, look, it, you make it. Yeah. You get to live your life, you know, in the future. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point. I think, And I think it's an excellent point in two places. One is for youth who call in to have someone who supports them, who's an adult who volunteers for a place like the Trevor Project. The other one is the rest of us um, in our lives. When I said, like, I kind of need to give back, like I made it through whatever the, right. the struggles were mm-hmm. of being in that process, being discriminated against, all of those, I made it through. Um, I have an opportunity to share my identity in places that help youth also understand. It's not certainly a call for people um, to be out in places where they're not comfortable um, or at all, but to the extent that those of us can, I think it's, and particularly folks who are in the media on Instagram, this generation, this Gen Z is online all the time. Uh, So that the extent that there's positive narratives out there that people tell the stories, it's also a part of suicide prevention, right? Because the stories that make the news are the ones that are heartbreaking. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, The stories that don't make the news are the ones where people thrive, the ones where someone has been struggling and they have they find a community, they find support. Maybe their parents weren't there for them, but maybe they've found an amazing community of humans to be around or dogs. Um, (laughs) And they have and they have that support and we don't hear those stories enough. So I think that the extent that that those of us who can do is incredibly powerful. If you're not having suicidal ideations, can you still use the platform mm-hmm. just to, to find community and to? Yeah, I would. So I would probably suggest for someone um, in that position to go on and find Trevor Space, and that's where they'll find a lot of LGBT youth. It's a great community um, for folks to talk to each other 
hash through some of those issues. So let's say you are in a place where you don't know anyone else who's LGBTQ. I was in a place like that. You know, that, that you're you're feeling isolated. And there's some things that you might want to, we said adolescence is a, is a really interesting time. You might want to talk about with someone and mm-hmm. try to figure out. Youth can go there. It's moderate, lightly moderated, meaning we have someone who's monitoring it, looking for if any youth might be in danger um, or something inappropriate happening to catch that. But but mostly it's just youth who are able to talk to each other and connect. And so that's where I would say if a youth just wants to to talk and hang out, anyone can call um, our crisis services. But I would say for someone who's really looking for that community, the place to find it would be Trevor Space. And what percentage of, I don't know if you know, like of uh, volunteers are just allies and not necessarily part of the LGBT community? I do not know. But it's... It, There's it's, a mix. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyone. Absolutely. It is as, is as is our staff. Our staff, our volunteers, um, it's LGBTQ and allies um, and a great mix of people who are all working. I think the one thing that draws us all together is we all believe really passionately in making the world a better place for LGBTQ youth. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there any any parting words you'd you'd like to share with our audience? Our listeners are a lot a lot of queer kids. <laughs> a lot of queer. I, th- I the the best advice that I can give is to reach out um, for support and for those of you who are able to reach out to others. I think that's really a nice way to do it. One of the things we didn't necessarily touch on is there's sometimes a myth that asking someone, are you having thoughts of suicide? Are you thinking about suicide? Might actually cause them to think about it. That's not true at all. Mm. You're not going to put ideas in someone's head. And so reaching out and connecting with others, if you're worried about someone, ask them, have a direct conversation. If you're worried about yourself, reach out to a place like Trevor, reach out to a friend and just get that support and get that connection. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Welcome. I love the Trevor Project. I will have a link for it in the uh, description, description of the episode. And stick around after the break. We're going to be playing hypotheticals with a special guest. Welcome back to Just Between Us and your favorite segment of all time, Hypotheticals. America's favorite game show. This week we are going to have a very special segment with uh, one of my favorite people here at Stitcher. Renee Colvert. Uh, thank you no, so much Colvert, for being here. No, Colvert, right? I'll Colvert, either. fuck. I, try, I did it fancy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I went fancy. Wait, um, and you, we both have our dogs here and you do a podcast about dogs. It's true. Now, I, I want to play it cool, ladies, but I'm a biggest fan of you. The biggest <laughs> fan of your dogs. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through the segment. Let's see. Wait, Let's say, give it what, a shot. say what your dog podcast. So my podcast is called Can I Pet Your Dog? Amazing. And it's exactly what you would expect. Talk about dogs we met this week, dogs in the news, uh, and then we will have famous people such as yourself come on, but we won't let them talk about their projects. We're just talking about dogs. Oh I my love God. it. All I care about is dogs. Um, <laughs> Good. Your priorities are straight. <laughs> So we love Renee, so we're going to have Renee play hypotheticals with us this week. Our first game, everyone's favorite game show, Would You Stay With This Cheater? You find out that your significant other of 17 years has created a Sims life where they are married to your best friend and have three children. They claim it doesn't count as a double life because it's virtual. Would you stay with this cheater? One of the children is named after you. Now, the friend is also playing... I don't know how Sims work. I, I imagine <laughs> that I'm you create your family. Yeah. And so she, they've created their spouse to look and be exactly like your best friend. But the best friend's not in on it. No. Okay. Creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Do they treat your best friend any differently? 
Um, they they've been texting. Really? Okay. About what? Sims. Are they secretive about the texting? Um, no. Okay. But you're also like a really trusting person, so you sure. haven't like really looked into the texting. The best friend knows about the Sims. Yeah, and the best friend actually has their own Sims where their where their partner is your partner. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this. It's not great. It's not great. What no. do you think? Well, I'm curious. When was the kid named after me? Before or after I found out about this? Like, was that a token offer of, no, oh, uh, we'll make it before. better? Okay. Yeah. So I'm being considered. No, absolutely. Just, as a child. <laughs> not, not romantically. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, I have two answers, which I know isn't allowed, but I will answer uh, me at uh, 21 years old. I'd uh-huh. be like, oh, yes, sure, of course, why not? Please, <laughs> by all means. Uh, and then I'd answer as of right now. I'd be like, I, I feel like you're not happy here, bud. Why don't, you, why don't you go date my best friend? Even though it's been for 17 years, I think it would create uh, too much strife. And so you would let them date your best friend? <laughs> well, uh, and, and then, then just, like, remain best friends? Very, oh, certainly not. Uh, I think uh, with a big smile on my face, I'd be like, you're both dead to me. Have fun. <laughs> go get them, tigers. Wow, because the best friend clearly has feelings for your partner, too, right? I mean, right? They say that it's just virtual and that it's just fantasy and it's no different than, than you know, like playing um, World of Warcraft. Okay. That's a game, right? <laughs> yeah. I, it feels like they're expressing what they really want through Sims. But 17 years is such a long time. It really is. I feel like how do you – oh, man. And – You've never been with anyone else. Oh, no. And let me tell you, starting over. Tough. Then you go on a Tinder date and you're like, they're like, why'd your last relationship end? And you're like, The Sims. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you wouldn't be the first person to say that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, I've heard this before. Yeah. I guess, so we'll agree, maybe, maybe leave. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. I mean, it's going to be hard to start over, but I think ultimately that's just going to drive a a stake in the relationship. Yeah. Good news. You start your own Sims world and meet your soulmate. Hey. On Sims? Yeah, it's a virtual soulmate. (laughs) Oh, so you make like your perfect husband on Sims. Yeah. And then then you never leave your house. Exactly. It's 10 years later and you can't move your legs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Happens more often than you think. Oh, my God. (laughs) Our next game. Are they an alien or just rude? Uh huh. <laughs> uh huh. Here we go. This is one of my favorites. Okay. <laughs> your aunt by marriage on your dad's side. Okay. Always comments on your Instagram post within five minutes of you posting. Wow. <laughs> she comments one of three things. No. One, I can barely see you. Right. <laughs> Two, remember to use the flash next time. <laughs> three, Wow, someone looks different. Are they an alien or just rude? So, are you not using the flash? Uh, depends. Okay. Now, would would other parties say that these photos are difficult to see you in? No. No. Okay, just just this ant slash alien is <laughs> so having a hard time with it. Okay. You think that maybe her light on her phone, like her phone is on dark instead of brighter? Well, that would be a really easy explanation, wouldn't it? Sure. But also, wow, you look different is, like, such a middling com- – where you're like, is it a compliment? Different how? It's not you look different. It's someone looks different. So it could be anyone. Yeah. It could be. Okay. This is, yeah, that's fair. So it could be an alien trying to get their photography business started. Wow. Saying, hey, your photos aren't good. Right. Let me take Let them. Let me take them. Let me take them. What do you think? Well, and I'm also curious, and I don't know if this is allowed, but is this based off real life? Do you currently have an aunt that you're curious about? 
No, my aunts don't comment enough okay. on my Instagram, yeah. I'd say. Aww. I think that's a problem with well, all of our aunts, right? <laughs> More comments, please. This person must have, um, like, notifications on for you because they comment, f- like, ev- in five minutes. They only follow you. Ooh. But but then they're, what, so they're always on Instagram? No, they have notifications, but also you're the only person they follow. No. I think they're just rude. I agree with just rude, but I want to understand why an alien would come to Earth just to comment on WordPress. <laughs> really good question. Really good question. I could, if I can come up with a reason why an alien would do that, then I want to go alien. But other maybe, than... Maybe they're trying to get you to reach your full potential because you're the one who has to save their planet. Yes, that has occurred to me. Thank you. <laughs> just right on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. I was thinking that maybe yeah. it could be that. Yeah, I'm going to go with just rude, but I like the alien scenario. Turns out... They have onset glaucoma. Um. Oh, my God. And it could have been prevented if only we had cared. Yeah, if only you'd looked into why they kept saying, I can't see you. I don't know. She's rude. She's rude. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. Our final final game, would you lie or tell the truth? Uh Uh-huh. While babysitting your one-year-old niece, you bump their head on the ceiling. Oh, no. Uh They have so much hair, it's impossible to spot the bump unless you touch it. When your sibling comes back to collect their child, do you tell them you saw their spouse holding hands with someone else on your way to the pediatrician? Or do you lie? (laughs) (laughs) Because there's two things going on. You have to say (laughs) that you went to the pediatrician because you hit their baby's head. Right. Right. But... You also, because they would say, when did you see my spouse? Oh, my God. And why did you go? Mm -hmm. Right. There's a lot happening. Very layered. This is an episode of Curb or something. (laughs) Wow. What a day I'm having. This is tough. I, God, am I going to admit that I hit the baby's head? I don't think so. Really? (laughs) But I would test it out. I would would do a few scenarios of uh, just doing just doing a bit of a touch and be like, is are they going to cry if that happens? Mm-hmm. If I think that not the pediatrician said it's fine. Yeah, the pediatrician said heads get hit all the time. We won't know what happens until a few years from now. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> what? We, won't, we won't know the full repercussions until the kid's a bit older. What? And have I paid off this pediatrician before to not tell my sister that I? You went to a different county, which oh, is why okay. you then have seen the spouse holding yeah, hands with yeah, someone else. Okay. Wow. Wow. This is intricate. <sighs> Do I, I like the spouse? Do we like the spouse? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Historically until until maybe today. And it's clearly a romantic handholding. You can never say that. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only way you can hold hands. Yeah. You Romantically. You can't hold hands any kind of way. What did the person that they were holding hands with look like? Beautiful, androgynous, very mm. tall. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, I say you tell. Both parts. Yeah. This is the first time I know you've tell said the that truth. You would tell the truth because I would worry that the baby would get sick or something, or like would have you know late onset like hemorrhaging, and the mom wouldn't take it to the hospital because they'd just be like, "Oh, I guess they just have a cold." But then it's really um, like I know that there's something deeper wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I wow. I guess I would only tell the truth if a baby is involved. <laughs> I guess I really care about babies. That's beautiful. That is really beautiful. I love it. I have the same answer, but for a less beautiful reason. Yeah. I feel uh, telling the truth about the head hitting, but you're like, that's nothing compared to what else is coming. Oh, and that's that so way, smart. You can't be that oh, mad about the head hitting because your yes. life is about to fall apart. A one-two Because punch. of the spouse. They yeah. won't even remember their baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
hypotheticals with us. You're welcome. I had the best time. You guys are truly, truly, I'm a fan. You guys are the greatest. <laughs> You're the greatest. Where can people find your podcast? Sure. Yes. Uh, so again, podcast is called Can I Pet Your Dog? Uh, and then on social media, uh, we just have the acronym. So it's C-I-P-Y-D podcast. And then I personally am Renee Colbert on Instagram. And mm-hmm. I've got a dog named Tugboat who's very cute. So oh, Tugboat's a celeb. A celeb. Gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> stick around. Not really stick around. It's about to happen. We're going into topics. No wait at all because it's time for topics. X X X X X X X. It's happening right now in your ear holes. Wait, do I say X X X or you say X X X? I think I d- we both do, and then somebody says, says baby. baby. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a month break anyway. <laughs> oh my god! Um, this week we I wanted to talk about just like our favorite content. Yeah, because I think that the arts. And TV and movies and books and podcasts and music. They're so important to our lives. Yeah. And they bring us such joy and enrichment. And uh, I kind of wanted to share about what what I've been driving with and what has positively impacted your life. Sure. And it doesn't have to be timely. But some can be. Some can be. Um, And also, like, I think people constantly are posting, like, what should I watch? What should I listen to? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And also, like, I think sometimes you keep it to yourself a lot. Like, I don't talk to people about what I'm watching or reading. Nobody, nobody asks. (laughs) I, uh, I do. But I also do this thing where I'll just be like, I'm really enjoying my book. So yes. Someone okay. will ask me what my book is. Can you explain the notebook that is on the table right now? Yes. So I've started a little notebook because I have a horrible memory. And I read a lot, but I don't really remember what I read. Um, so I'm now keeping track of each book that I read. I write the title, the author's name. I rate it uh, zero to, to five. Okay. And then I give a little description of what it was about to jog my memory. Because there have been times where you told me that you started reading a book and then been like, I've already read this. Yeah. So that's not been great. (laughs) So what's in there? Okay. What's received a five out of five? Nothing's received a five out of five yet. Tough critic. But I will say that the best book that I have read since I started this, I just finished. um, And it was called Ask Again, Yes. Okay. What's that? And this book is recent i think it's 2019 and it's on a lot of like best of books so i'm not like cooler or like i haven't heard of it i haven't heard of it supporting this book so this book is a story um it takes place over i'd say let's say like 30 years and it's about two different families and like this tragic incident that occurs between um the mother of one family and the father of the other. Oh. But then the two kids are kind of like star-crossed lovers who want to be together despite this crazy history. Um, And it's really well-written. You know, I think that a lot of times I read a lot of mysteries and the whole time I'm just like, what happened? What happened? And I'm not necessarily enjoying the... The, um, the prose itself. The prose itself. And this was a book where I just truly enjoyed the prose itself. And I I was looking up a review of it. And I thought that this said it so well. It was called Unpretentiously Profound. Oh. Yeah. So it was a book that like really touched on a lot of interesting parts of the human experience, including mental health in a really big way, as well as like alcoholism. But it never felt preachy. It never felt like this is a book about this. Oh. It felt more like this is a book about life. And then these are things that happen in your life. Um, wow. Even often very tragic things that happen to these characters. But it was right. a lot about like resilience and just like keeping on, keep it, keep going. And I, I thought it was so well written. And I... 
I just, I truly loved it and would recommend it to kind of anyone. I think a lot of people um, don't read books and they feel really bad about it. So, because they don't know where to start maybe or they don't know what to read. Or they think they don't have the time. But I recommend reading before you go to bed every night. Aww. Yeah, because it's way better than being on your phone just, like, for your brain. Yeah. And for, like, your ability to fall asleep faster. And just wind down. Yeah. So, like, honestly, you don't have to hit a certain number of pages. You could one night read two pages, the next night read two chapters. Yeah. But just sort of, like, beginning that ritual of reading every night before bed is really lovely. And better for your eyes. Yeah. Way better for your eyes. Um, I am going to recommend a show that I've started watching religiously because it's on after the new L Word. And it's called Work in Progress. Uh, and it is by this uh, woman, Abby McEnany, and it is so funny. It's like a queer Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, she's so weird, uh, and it's so funny, and it's like— Is it a half hour? It's a half hour. It's so, like, succinct, and she gets a lot of stuff in, and it's so quirky, and um, there's a really fun relationship between her. She's like a older sort of, like, butch queer woman— uh, and this relationship between her and, like, a young trans man who's much younger than her, uh, who's played by Theo Germain, who I'm obsessed with and have a crush on. And if you're listening, Theo Germain, please marry me. <laughs> um, so the premise is that she has a bag of almonds and she's going to— she, <laughs> That's so not what I thought you were going to no, say. No, no. And when she finishes throwing out each of the almonds, then she's going to kill herself. <laughs> she throws out one almond a day. Um, and so it's just following her life as that's going to— like, How it, many almonds does she start off with? I think it's, like, 152 or something. Okay. And um, she has like severe like anxiety and OCD. But then like when she decides that is when all of a sudden things in her life start changing and and Mm. getting better. So it's like kind of a loose, that's like the loose premise. But it's a lot about like queer family and also like her her queerness and her friends who are like older and mostly white. And then like um, her young boyfriend's friends who are like much more gender nonconforming and much more like uh diverse and so like these two generations of queer sort of like coming together and also it's just like really cringy and funny and uh bizarre uh and there's there have been a lot of things where twice she's had uh celebrities come in and play themselves and I love that and there's celebrities who have done problematic stuff for like gender and sexuality in the past and then she has them come in and like kind of do this like she goes to confront one of them and then the person's like, oh no, that was really bad and I'm really sorry. So there's like these redemption arcs for like these comedians. Which uh, celebrities? Julia Sweeney, um, who did uh, It's Pat. Did you ever know that? It's really yeah. bad. But anyway, she's a, Julia Sweeney's a, a executive producer on the show. Oh. And she was on SNL and she did this character on SNL that was like really offensive to like trans people and to like any, like to queer people in general. Uh, and to any sort of like gender nonconforming person, and uh, and then she gets like this whole redemption arc. It's it's a really interesting show. I, you sold me. I know it's I've great. Been sold. It's really great. And this I was is just an excuse for us to come up with new things to watch. And listen no, to. I was super worried that it wasn't going to get a season two because I was like, it, no, maybe I hear so much more about the L word Generation Q, but then it did get renewed for oh, season good. two. So, so I was what, very excited. Sorry, what channel is that on? Showtime. Showtime. Do you, are you liking the new L word? Yes. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely got a lot of problems that are similar to the problems the L word faced the first time around <laughs> uh, that you would hope maybe they would have learned or something. So there's def- it's not perfect, but it is nice to see these old characters back again. And there's a thruple on it, which Ooh. I love. What what issues like inclusivity and stuff? 
Yeah, inclusivity and also there's just some stuff where people being like, this is an inaccurate representation of queer women. Where are the dogs? Where are the therapists? Like, <laughs> it's just, it's very, it's still very like flashy type of LA lifestyle people mm. sort of like, it's more aspirational than realistic, which I guess it's always been. Right. Um, and then what, what pods are, you always have pods. What pods are you listening to? So thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> I have a couple that um, I go to all the time. One of them is Hidden Brain. Um, oh. And it is like all about um, just like thing – let me – I don't even know how to describe it. Let me Let me see how they describe it. Science and storytelling to reveal the unconscious patterns that drive human behavior, shape our choices, and direct our relationships. Whoa. Yeah. So Whoa. it'll be like about like creatures of habit, like how we form habits or like why we love um, surprise endings or – Oh. So one that was really great was like in the heat of the moment. And that was all about like how the way that we act in like moments of like – Fear or anger is so unlike how we are the rest of the time. Yes. And we can, like, never predict how we're going to act in those moments. And also, like, once that moment has passed, we go back to not knowing how we would react. (laughs) Like, we, you know, like, we we are unable to remember what it's like to be in, in the heat of the moment. Wow, that's fascinating. Which is really interesting. Because you hear people say all the time, like, I, I thought that I would do this in this situation, uh-huh. and I did something completely different. And it also, to me, it, like, sort of lets me forgive myself a little bit more. You know, like, if I am in that moment of, like, intense rage or whatever, like, and I'll be like, but I'm such a rational, kind person. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, it's, like, animalistic almost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's really, the the host is really great and has a bunch of interviews with um, different experts and also interweaves like just personal stories that relate to it um and i love it a lot i've learned a lot about about different things and then another one that i really love is called the moment okay it's a relationship story podcast where like each episode is like a different couple and like the moment where they like um either like decided to be together forever or something they had to overcome to be together forever and it's just like super specific just like interviewing the two people of the couple about like their specific journey and I eat that shit up yeah I this sounds like exactly the type of thing you would listen to I was so mad I didn't make it (laughs) yeah so it's like what what I mean small is it ever like small moments or well so it'll be like one couple was talking about like planning their wedding and like how they wanted it to just be this small thing in like New Zealand okay. but then like family pressure it had to be this big wedding and like it got blown out of proportion it became so stressful they ended up like canceling the wedding <laughs> and then ending up going back to New Zealand and doing it the way that they wanted originally and that was the moment that they were like we're for each other because we're supporting each other in this I'd say the moment is a loose term you right, know right, it's right. more just sort of like this couple's gonna make it. Yeah. You know, more than like a specific moment. Yeah. So like something they've had to to overcome. Um or like one was just about like Taylor Swift and you know, oh, like that's it's, so a, it's funny. a wide it's a wide range. That's but I, so funny. I just love to be a fly on the wall for people's relationship stories. So that's a fun way to do it. A podcast that I love is called Web Crawlers. It's uh Ali Siegel and Melissa Stetton and uh, oh, yeah. producer Maria. And they talk about conspiracy theories and, uh, like, mysteries. And it's anything from people who have gone missing to aliens to uh, the Illuminati and cults and stuff like that. Um, And I like it because they're, like, not experts. And a lot of times 
they like yes and each other into like, well, it's aliens for sure. Yeah. Um, and I just like how they talk to each other and they're very funny and they try to like put things together sometimes and th- they just connect the dots to things that like don't really make sense. But by the end of it, you're like, I- I'm on board actually. Yeah, I like I like podcasts where I learn something. That's what it is. Like I'm learning something and also they're but very- are they making it up? No, no, no. Like, they have research and they're learning all, like, about these conspiracies and stuff. Like, they did an episode about people who've disappeared on cruise ships Mm. and then, uh, like, what that's about. And then they did an episode about— Well, they fell off. Or or were they kidnapped? Or are cruise cruise ships just large human trafficking organizations? That's very possible. There's one where they talk about like Skinwalker Ranch, which is like this ranch that supposedly has all these like aliens or cryptids on it. I don't know. I like it and it's funny and it's like the type of weird shit you would talk about with your friends when you're high, basically. (laughs) Uh, I have a new favorite show, which I've mentioned on this podcast, which is Monk. Oh, wow. It took me so long to watch Monk, I think because I knew that the main character had OCD and I just thought it was like going to be a bad depiction yeah, of it. Yeah, just like I sometimes when things are like too close to home, I'm just I like I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. Like, yuck, I don't need that. I live this. Yeah. Um, but it is one of the best shows I've ever seen. I will say that I do not think that the way people treat him in that show is good or accurate. Like they will constantly be like he just got quirks or like, yeah, just what that's just monk. But like, in my, I would be like, sorry, he has obsessive compulsive disorder. Right. And that's why this is happening. Right. But even like, it, even like someone who is his nurse will be like, I don't know why this is going on. That's so weird. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I have to give you that stipulation that I find that to be extremely problematic. And I also think that the psychiatrists in the show are not super helpful and are not <laughs> providing really good care. <laughs> But I do love his depiction of the character. I think it is super fun. I also think that um, it's really great to have a procedural with characters you love. Mm-hmm. So, like, I actually, like, really care about about the characters. But then you also get a fun mystery every single week. Yeah. Um, so it really keeps you going. And I can't believe that this is my favorite show because there is no romance. Zero. He doesn't have a single romantic interest other than one one-off episode the wow. entire eight-season show. Wow. Because he's in love with – he's still in love with his ex-wife who's who's been murdered. So you like a show with no romantic arc. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. That's how good the show is. Because you know, I remember watching West Wing and being like, this is good but not enough romance for me. <laughs> Uh, you want to know something weird? My first boyfriend in college, his uncle created Monk. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. We called him Monkle. Wow. He, what a guy. Yeah, and then I worked for him a little bit at a radio station. What? Yeah. Why was he at a radio station? He had a radio show. Oh. Uh, and I at a WFMU, and I worked uh, at the radio show with, with uh, Jake's uncle, Andy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, I'm starstruck just by knowing you. Yeah, pretty weird. I've also just been rewatching The Office and I'm like, oh, this show is so much better than other shows. Yeah. At least the first few seasons. Like yeah. before my, once Michael Scott leaves, I'm not interested. See you later. I think it gets too broad and I'm like don't really like the new characters. But the first few seasons of that show do this incredible job of being like so cringe-worthy and hilarious but having enough heart where it works. Like just when it goes too far, they have like a 
the save the cat moment where like oh. a character like does something good or like you feel for them or they show a, a good quality you wouldn't expect yeah. and you're like I'm back in <laughs> like wow. this is it that's I think what keeps it from being sketchy like mm. it, it doesn't feel sketchy to me like in the way like a 30 rock does it feels like very grounded even though these characters are uh, ridiculous yeah. yeah yeah and I miss that tone of show I feel like we we don't really have that tone of show anymore well, I think we became, like, um, more ironic and less interested in, like, genuine – you know what I mean? Like, a lot of shows don't really have, ge- like, genuine moments and, and because they're more steeped in, like, irony or jokes, jokes, jokes. Well, I think what it is is it's either jokes, jokes, jokes or a not grounded – or it's like a half hour comedy but has no jokes. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah. Like the office like bridges that gap and yeah. like it keeps it superhuman and like believable in a way, mm-hmm. but like is also just like the jokes per minute is so high. Yeah. Anyway, so nothing good's been made in years. Go watch Monk in the Office. No, Work in Progress is really <laughs> no, good. Just work kidding. in Progress I'm is just really kidding. good. I have zero movies to recommend. Did you see Cats? No. <laughs> no? I took an edible and saw Cats, and let me tell you. Is it amazing? Uh, I can't believe it happened. For two days afterwards, I was like, I actually saw, that's a thing I saw, right? Yeah, I kind of need to see it, but I'm going to wait till I can do it in the privacy of my own home. It's terrifying. Oh, absolutely. It's terrifying. Um, they have human hands and feet. Why? I don't know, but it's so scary. Uh I don't know that I'm recommending it. I'm just, like, letting you know. It's just an experience to be had. Yeah, basically. They have, like, rowdy screenings. Yeah, I want to go to that. I I mean, I I don't even know how. How? Did it how, get made? How did it because get it made? Because it had a male director. Yep, Tom Hooper, who... I, I bet he'll I bet he'll be fine. He'll yeah. bounce back from this no problem. If a woman directed cats, she wouldn't be allowed in certain restaurants in Los Angeles. <laughs> Tamika, want to come on in and share your favorite content? Have you seen Cats? No, I haven't. Uh, I get into this mode where there's so much TV, there's so many movies. I like to wait and hear if it's good before I invest time. And Mm -hmm. I hear so many crazy things about Cats, I'm just kind of scared. Terrifying. (laughs) I'm terrified. The way that they walk and move is like, I I don't like it. It's Uncanny Valley. That's what it is. Do you have any favorite recommendations you'd like to give our listeners? Sure. Um, I've been listening to some good podcasts. Um, Please tell me. I need more. Um, I really liked 1619. Oh, Did you yeah. Times. Yeah, right? it was so good. So well done. I had the same feeling that you had about that other podcast where I was like, man, I really wish I was involved in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you describe what it's about? Yeah. So um, 1619 is the year that the first Africans were brought over to America, to the New World. Um, So it is sort of looking at the impact of Africans on America uh, through the years and how it's still very relevant to today. Kind of mind-blowing. It just brings so many ideas together in a way that's relatable and easy to understand. Mm -hmm. Digestible. Not not easy to do. So I thought that was really great. And then I'm also listening to the Catch and Kill podcast. Oh, Ronan oh, yeah. Farrow. Yes. I want to listen to that, too. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's um, kind of Ronan Farrow talking about his reporting uh, with the Harvey Weinstein mm-hmm. investigation. And it's really kind of difficult to listen to sometimes, but I think really important. Ronan Farrow and John Lovett are my favorite celebrity couple. Mm, understandably. I would be in a throuple with them immediately. <laughs> <laughs> 
What if they weren't interested in you? They're not. They're not. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that doesn't occur to Gabby. No. <laughs> in her scenarios. <laughs> what would we rate this episode? I rate it 10 out of 10 volunteers. Please go volunteer for Trevor Project. I love how much training they give the volunteers. Thank goodness. Because it's so important. I think probably you you would want to volunteer, but you're scared of not doing the right thing. It's so high stakes. Right. So knowing that, like, you will get that training and that it seems like you can probably pick how many shifts you do. So Mm -hmm. depending on how much time you have, um, I would really recommend looking into that. Tamika? I would give it five out of five cliche romances. Because oh. I was in the studio and uh, Sinead Burke. Yeah, yeah. Sinead. Former guest of the pod, friend She's of the pod, great. Sinead Burke. She was back there listening to you guys doing the international question. She's like, who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> she was like seething over that story. Yeah. I, I hate a ghost. It's so rude. Just people need to learn how to communicate with each other and they never do. Or just lie, but say something. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Wow, what I, to- I this is the first episode where I've advocated telling the truth and you've advocated lying. 2020 baby, it's wild. <laughs> Thank you so much to Dr. Amy Green and Renee Colvert for being our guests. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin, and me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns, and he also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Tamika Weatherspoon, and our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Meow. Why? Cats. (laughs) Stitcher.